Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayo. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, I am joined by James, and we're going to be discussing what a crisis is at DC and answer some questions we've gotten around them. James, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing, John? I am doing well. Now, I've been reading DC Comics for a really long time. Yes, you have. And I was in that pre-crisis era of readership for many, 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 many years. And crisis came along, and things changed. Yeah. And crisis is... And when I say crisis, just crisis, I almost always mean crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. And there's a couple of times, like, I've been talking with Sam, and he's like, well, which crisis? And I'm like, maybe he wasn't reading at the time or whatever, because that that's not the kind of question that, I, in my mind, kind of comes up. Well, it, it's interesting you say that, because I'm like that, too. I always say crisis. And, yeah, then I have to say on Infinite Earths, because, yeah, th- this is the only one I consider a crisis. Well, I think there are other crises that have happened, but this one was unlike any others, because it had never been done before. Yeah, it was very different. Re- reading the forward to the Crisis on Infinite Earths, it was really kind of cool hearing about their thinking behind it. And should they have even done it, you know? Well, and I think if those questions were to come up today, there would just be a radically different answer. Yeah, I agree. Because if you, you look at it, they were 50 years into a shared universe that was never intended to be a shared universe. They would pulled in characters from other publishers, even and yep. tried to integrate them as best they could. There were inconsistencies. That's going to happen. And it's like, let's clean house. Let's simplify. Uh, you know, people can't understand the multiple universes. And, you know, all of these kinds of, of statements were made. Now, whether they were true or not, well, I was a reader at the time, and I, I understood it fine. But I don't know. It, hopefully they knew their readership well enough to, to make that decision. But then you look at where we stand today with multiverses kind of being used to expand franchises and and stuff like that, and it's kind of a popular thing to do. It's just radically different than than where we were at in the mid '80s. No, I I can understand that. Sometimes the all the multiverses confuse me. Even to this day, it's like jumping into the deep end of the pool, you know, without having enough experience swimming. It, it can be a little bit overwhelming. I, I'll never forget the first time I read Crisis on Infinite Earths. It was not with you and Sam. That was the second time. Someone said, "This is the best." Thing. You got to read it. This is the best event. And I read it and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? I had no clue. To say it is the best event is an interesting statement to make. And I'm not going to say that that's a wrong statement, but it was the most epic of events. And it really heralded in a new era of what it even meant to be an event in comics. Yeah. Because prior to that, there really hadn't been anything even remotely like it or even anything in what we would kind of consider an event today. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, even get like Secret Wars, which they said happened first, but that didn't have the ramifications. It didn't have the, you know, the end of the world type or the end of the universe or reality type stuff that was going on. It made it up the ante and it made just the up game subsmanship so much more than what it had been before and tying in multiple realities and universes and continuities it just made it much larger than anything we've ever seen 
Well, let's let's define a couple of terms. Okay. Because Secret Wars is, I think, a good thing to kind of compare it to. And that involves most of the then-being-published characters. Not all of them, but most. Correct. At least a substantial amount. I mean, there were some that just weren't touched by it, like Daredevil and a few others. Power Man and Iron Fist, etc. Yeah. I would say, at the time, it would qualify as an event. An event being kind of a line-wide story that virtually all of the then-active characters in the publishing line are, are somehow involved. Yeah, I would agree with that. That was definitely an event. Now, I say you've got to give it a little bit of, of leeway for the time it was at. Because then you look at Secret Wars 2, Secret Wars 3 and stuff, where it's like, you can't avoid the event. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's, to me, kind of one of the benchmarks of what makes something go from a story to a crossover to an event. And there's another step in between I'm going to put there. But an event is, if you're going into the comic shop and you're not completely oblivious to everything... If you're reading that publisher, you're going to be aware that that story is going on. Yeah, correct. And we, we've we've all experienced that where you open up a book and oh, the the thread I was reading or the story I was reading is sidetracked by this thing that's happening. Maybe mm-hmm. you're not reading it, but it's affecting my book. Events tend to hijack almost every title in the line or every character in the line, even if not in their home title. Yeah, and people who aren't reading the event tend to get really miffed and cheesed off about that. <laughs> as do some of the creators, because it can hijack their story and derail it for a couple of months. Yeah, so there's frustration, but people who are really into the event think it's wonderful and great. Now, in my mind, below the event of lesser importance, but still happens often, and is confused with events, is, and I haven't got a great term for this, but it's what I would call kind of a regional event. Yeah, we've seen those. That's where all the Batman family characters get together and have something go on. Or all the X-Men titles. Yeah. House of X, Powers of X. That was an event for the X titles. And while it had ramifications elsewhere in the Marvel Universe, certainly, it's not like Spider-Man and Captain America paused their stories to go deal with it. Correct, yeah. It just was maintained in those X books, and if you're reading it, you liked it. If you weren't reading the X books, you probably didn't know it happened. Right. So when some people say, oh, well, do you consider this, that, or the other an event, and it's a story that really only impacted one editorial office. Nine times out of ten, probably 99 times out of 100, I'm going to say, no, not really. Yeah, it's that regional event, that little publishing book, that that little pocket universe inside the big universe. Exactly. It's a big deal in the town you're in, but the next town over, who cares? Exactly. Cool. You know? Now, a few other terms we, we probably need to discuss. The concept of a retcon versus a reboot versus a retooling. Yeah, I was speaking about that on the Slack and spoilers today, using this thing that you talked about. (laughs) Well, and I'm not going to say these are official definitions. These are what I use, because when terms get used interchangeably, when they have different meanings, it it precludes meaningful conversation. Yeah. Now, a retcon is something where they alter the established past continuity of a character in a way that contradicts previously published stories. Yes. You know, if they were to to come into a Batman title and say, oh, yeah, his parents never died, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. (laughs) And and, and one that seemed like a retcon, but it wasn't, was when we thought Peter Parker was the clone and Ben Riley was the real Spider-Man. But it turned out just to be a story thing, you know, and they retooled it. But yeah, that, that wasn't a real retcon necessarily. It was just a story device. Even with that, I could argue if it was a retcon or not, since it didn't go against something previously established yeah. so much as something just generally believed. Yes, yeah. So 
they can be confusing because uh, I'm sure at the time everyone's thinking this is a retcon, but ended up, I don't think it was. Well, like using a Marvel example, when they brought back Bucky Barnes as the Winter Soldier. Yes. Not a retcon. He still died as far as Cap was concerned. All those past stories still hold water. It's just there was more to the story. That we didn't see at that time. Yes. Yeah, so I I, th- I like that, that they were able to do that versus the retcon and they just change it, which can be frustrating because you hold something to be true and now it's not true and it kind of messes things up for you. And that's the big difference. A retcon gives you conflicting realities to deal with. Depending which comic you're reading, it, it determines what you may believe. Yeah, a retcon can mess up continuity, I think. Generally speaking, it almost always does. It always does, yeah. (laughs) Now, a reboot is just kind of discarding past continuity and starting over. It's like rebooting your computer. The New 52. The New 52 is a great example of that. That, That's the one that comes to mind, because they literally got rid of everything and started everything with number one, and even new kind of realities for the characters. You know, Grace and the Super Spy versus Nightwing. Actually, that came a couple of years after. Oh, okay. My bad. That was more with Forever Evil, which was, I want to say, about five years later. I'd have to go check to get the the dates right on that. Can you guess who didn't read New 52? (laughs) Can't say I blame you. But that's a throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of an approach. Yes. And they definitely did that with the New 52, which annoys me personally, because I had a meeting with, I think it was Bob Wayne and John Rood, both were at DC at the time, and they were pitching... The, the New 52 as more of a retooling and, and making some cosmetic changes, not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Which is what they did, yeah. It's exactly, yeah, a couple of months later after Comic-Con where I had that meeting, I, I read the stuff and I'm like, no, nah, you, you, you chucked everything. You're saying we're starting over as, you know, clean slate, which is their prerogative to do, but that's the ultimate retcon because now everything you know is wrong, or, or up for grabs at the very least. And, and they, shortly after that, had to go back and reboot again to go back. Well, that's the thing, is they didn't reboot to go back, they retconned to go back. Retconned to go back, okay. Because when we got the DC Universe Rebirth special, that's when, you know, Wally West comes back and says, oh, but you forgot about all of these things, and suddenly they're back. Yeah. You know, and there were a few other times they've done that, and... This is different to me than retooling a character, which is basically altering a character or concept to go in a new direction while still acknowledging what happened in the past. Yeah. You know, Robin becoming Nightwing arguably is a retooling of his character. Correct. You know, it's 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 a name change, a costume change, but fundamentally he's not that different. Yeah. I would say, honestly, right now uh, we almost get a retooling with the Punisher that's happening right now. We're adjusting the character and he's going in a new direction. He has a katana and there's a lot of Eastern background behind him right now. Well, when we got Frankencastle and he became kind of a Frankenstein thing, that was certainly a radical retooling of the character. Yes. You know, at one point he was an angel. Now, how many of these are retcons, retoolings? I'd have to go refresh my memory on some of these to, to be clear. Yeah. But to me, the key difference is a retooling is, it's like redecorating your office or something like that. It's not like your office had never been there before. It's just now it's different. Yeah, everyone walks in and they'll be like, oh, what'd you change? What Something's different here. <laughs> or even it'd be very obvious it's different, but not like, wait, this room exists? Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. <laughs> and with the crisis on Infinite Earths in particular, and with a lot of the other kind of events and stuff, to really properly understand it at DC, you've got to kind of understand 
what the original DC multiverse was and how it came to be. Because none of this is possible or frankly even needed if that never happened. Yeah, I would agree. Now, it all goes back to the Flash 123 comic of The Flash of Two Worlds. Now, we've got the original characters from the Golden Age having matured and gone forward, some more successfully than others, some fell by the wayside, like the Jay Garrick Flash. Along comes the 60s, they decide, hey, let's, you know, superheroes are, are coming back, let's do a new Flash. We get a new character, new origin, it even references the original Flash in it. And it's like, okay, this Barry Allen is, is the Flash now. Well, in the Flash of Two Worlds, Barry meets Jay Garrick. Ah. We get the first story where a character from the then-current world goes to another reality where some of the characters that had fallen by the wayside still exist. Ah, interesting. Interesting, but if you think a little further, it's a little problematic because there were some characters, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, they never really went away. Yeah, they did. So how did they get here? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... And these other guys get left behind. What's going on? Well, that's the thing. is, is Both worlds end up with a Superman, a Wonder Woman, a Batman. It's just the Earth, what becomes Earth 2, they're older. Okay. You know, they've aged because that one's a little more anchored in World War II. Yeah, you get the silver sideburns and stuff. Exactly, exactly. And this led to, a little later, Justice League of America number 21 and 22, with Crisis on Earth 1 and Crisis on Earth 2, where the Justice League meets the Justice Society. Ah, interesting. Now, this spawns a yearly set of annual JLA-JSA team-ups, where they get together, something happens, and after a couple of years, it seemed like every time they get together, some other group would be there. You know, the Fawcett characters, you know, Captain Marvel and those guys, or they'd go fight the Crime Syndicate, which is an evil Justice League from, from another world, or the Legion would be involved, or the New Gods, or the Freedom Fighters... And I think if you were to step through the JLA-JSA crossovers for those, I don't know, 20-some-odd years, you could get a pretty good overview of a lot of the major players in both the DC Universe and Multiverse, because really, at that point, it is a multiverse. Yeah. Th you know, thinking about that, Marvel could have had, I don't want to say the same problem, but could have done the same thing. You know, they, they bought Malibu, they bought... Um... I'm trying to think of the one, the defunct... Well, Malibu publisher. was its own universe for a while in, in Marvel. Oh, it was. Okay. I, I Black Knight and Juggernaut uh, right. went over that's, there for a bit. That's right. I remember seeing Juggernaut there. And it just, they kind of just disappeared. I wonder if we'll see them again one day. But uh, I don't think so because of the the way creators' rights were set up at Malibu made it a little you know, less uh, attractive for Disney to, to keep going with it. Same with the cross-gen stuff. Cross-gen. That's what I was going to say. So like if they had the meetups between the cross-gen and the current Marvel Universe people that could have been the same type of thing as like seeing the Fawcett characters in one of these annuals. Well, and the Fawcett characters wound up being on Earth S, S yep. for Shazam. So we've got Captain Marvel, Bullet Man, the rest of the Squadron of Justice and stuff. You know, Earth 1 was where the Barry Allen Flash was. I mean, he was the one traveling, so he got to name the worlds. Okay. And the then active DC Universe was Earth 1. Earth 2 was the home of the JSA and the Golden Age characters. Okay. Earth 3 was the home of the crime syndicate, and it's basically a, a flipped morality kind of a world. Okay. Ultraman instead of Superman, you know, and they're, they're an evil Justice League, which is, I always thought, kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. We've got Earth X, which is the home of the Freedom Fighters, where 
uh, World War II didn't go as well as it did, you know, in, in most of the other worlds, and they've been fighting it for decades ever since. Yeah, I, I read a ch- title from there, and I liked it a lot. Well, you probably read a later Earth X than that one. Yeah, yeah, a later one with uh, something Sam. I can't remember well, his name. Uncle Sam and the Freedom Uncle Fighters. Sam. Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters, yeah. <laughs> well, this is where it gets confusing, because you probably read an Earth 10 book versus an Earth X book. And it may seem like it's six one half dozen the other, and to a degree it kind of is, but is the story set in the 70s? Is it current day? Which version of the Freedom Fighters is it, uh, etc.? Ah, gotcha. And this this really brings up the question of what is a character, and I'm doing kind of air quotes here, because is Superman Superman, you know, a rose by any other name kind of a deal? Or is there a fundamental difference between the Earth-1 and Earth-2 Superman? Certainly there's a difference between the Ultraman of Earth-3. Yeah, for sure. But where do you start drawing those lines of, is it the same character or a different character? Exactly. And then when you've got all these other worlds, it, it really, you know, amps up the confusion. Because, I mean, there was Earth Prime, which theoretically was kind of our real world. That okay. Sometimes the creators or somebody would, would go visit or something. One of my favorites was Earth C, the home of Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew. <laughs> and then not to be left out, Earth C minus, the home of just a lot of animals, which, as you would expect, an animal <laughs> version of the JLA. <laughs> and then there was the Antimatter Universe, which is the home of Quard and later the Antimonitor and stuff like that. And post-crisis was the home of the crime syndicate. Ah. But throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s, more and more of these alternate worlds came to be when they would buy other characters like the quality characters for the Freedom Fighters. They got their own world. The Fawcett characters got their own world. That sort of thing. Okay. And it didn't happen, like, all the time, but it was a way to keep the continuity kind of, I don't want to say clean, but distinct. Yeah, instead of saying, hey, these guys popped up, where were they? What, what's going on here? <laughs> well, how can Shazam be the world's mightiest mortal if you've got Superman? Exactly. But you want to have him cross over, hence the multiverse, so you can. Makes sense. Now, this all led up to things getting convoluted and confusing, 50 years of stories, countless creators, inconsistencies are going to happen, etc. So it came time to kind of kind of clean house. And that led to Crisis on Infinite Earths, the tagline of which was, worlds will live, worlds will die, and nothing will ever be the same. Very true. Very true. Now, Wikipedia defines a crisis for DC Comics, you know, as a crisis in the DC Universe is an event with potentially great consequences, often involving multiple universes and sometimes even threatening their existence. So, in my mind, you've got your run-of-the-mill story in a comic. You've got a crossover where one character crosses over and interacts with another, maybe across the two titles. You've got that kind of regional event where all the heroes in Gotham get together and go do something, or Metropolis or wherever. Then you've got an event where it seems like everybody who's anybody is involved in this kind of a story. It's an alien invasion, such as in Invasion, or War of the Gods, or Millennium, or Legends, or something like that. And then you've got a crisis. Now, a crisis is an event, but an event isn't always a crisis. For it to be a crisis, at least in my mind, cosmic-level event, which can and often does rewrite reality to some degree. Yeah. And for characters, in my mind, there's the concept of the mile marker, a point at which there's a clear and meaningful before and after for the character. Okay. Uh, Using Dick Grayson as an example, some of the mile markers, the death of his parents. Yes. Very clear before and after. 
Becoming Robin, very clear before and after. Becoming Nightwing, you could argue Becoming Batman, although that to me is a little more debatable, but there certain events are dividing lines. Crisis on Infinite Earths was the sharpest of dividing lines you could possibly imagine for DC continuity. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think anything certainly before or even anything since matches up to that. Yeah, the the one that's the the crisis that came about later on which uh, you know we we kind of discussed this a little bit before. Yeah, the, this this is the big one that this is the one that if, the crisis this is crisis. The the other ones I I'm curious here about your thoughts on them. I've I've put together a list of in the list it started with JLA JSA team ups and then I added some of the crises, some of the other yearly events, and some of that stuff. And it's by no means an exhaustive list. And it absolutely does not include the lead-ins and aftermaths to these various things. Now, for Crisis, the lead-ins were, you know, a couple of appearances, not a couple, tons of appearances of the Monitor here and there, and some of the fallout afterwards. For other titles, Infinite Crisis being a good example, Final Crisis being another, there were explicit miniseries that led into these things and, you know, ha- dealt with the aftermath of these things. Okay. I haven't included those in the list because then it, it, I mean, there's a ton of them. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> but in my mind, in terms of, of at the cosmic level, the mile markers include Flash 123, Flash of Two Worlds, because before then there wasn't even the concept of the multiverse in DC. You've got the JLA-JSA crossovers happening on a regular basis, that happening every year from 1963 up to 85, with 86 being Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, I, I, that's a big long list there. Yeah, they didn't miss one of them. Now, when somebody asks, why is it called a crisis? Well, you go back to that first JLA-JSA team-up, Crisis on Earth 1, Crisis on Earth 2. You look at the next story they did about a year later, Crisis on Earth 3. The one after it, Crisis on Earth A. The one after it, Crisis between Earth 1 and Earth 2. Ah, uh, they went for a few others where it doesn't always have crisis, although the next one was negative crisis on Earth 1, 2. Yeah. <laughs> but then a lot of the others, later it's crisis on Earth X, crisis on Earth S, crisis in the 30th century with the Legion, crisis from yesterday, crisis on New Genesis, crisis in the Thunderbolt d- dimension. That was a go-to phrase to use for these crossovers. So when you're going and cleaning out your your narrative universe or multiverse of... of most of it, Crisis on Infinite Earths is a fairly logical title. Yeah, it does. It makes perfect sense after looking at that long list. Now, a few of the other things, I mean, after that, because this, is, again, was the first kind of epic mega event. It, it, Crisis on Infinite Earths touched basically everything that was anything in the 50-year publishing history that was worth remembering, and they could cram them into 12 issues. Everything from Sugar and Spike to Commandy to Anthro on up and down. Yeah, that level of utter completeness and, and expansiveness as to what it touched, I don't think has been met since. I don't think could be met since because I mean, look at how many comics have been published since 1986 versus before it. It's, Just so many. Yeah, it's insane. And, and you know, George Perez doing the art on that and putting all the character work that he did into that. Uh, there's very few artists that could do that kind of work today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't know if there is anyone who could do that kind of a work, uh, certainly not without going insane. Yeah, I, I was just amazed, just the amount of characters he puts on the page. So, I mean, it, it was like the the perfect storm 
uh, the perfect crisis. When crisis came about, you had the perfect artist and you had a really good writer. And well, and wow. the two had worked together for many years up to that. They worked in tandem brilliantly. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there was anything Marv could have written that George couldn't have drawn. And I, I also think that they worked well enough together that everything George wanted to draw, Marv could certainly write. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Good team. An amazing team. And they've had great creative teams on other crisis-level events, but none with the mandate those two had or just the uh, the kind of gestalt they, those two had. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, after 1986, there were other events, Legends, uh, Millennium, Invasion, Armageddon 2001, War of the Gods, Eclipse of the Darkness Within, Bloodlines, and then in 1994, we get to Zero Hour, the subtitle of which, A Crisis in Time. Okay. This was kind of the next crisis sort of thing. So eight years later. This led to numerous retcons. This is where the Hawkmans kind of all got merged to a single character. This led to a reboot of the Legion of Superheroes, which had made it out of crisis relatively intact. Well, relatively intact. We've got some questions on that later as to one or two of the key backstory points that got obliterated. Yeah. After Zero Hour, there's Final Night, there's Genesis, there's DC One Million, Identity Crisis, a few other things. Some of those, like Genesis, in my mind, are just a story. Others, like Final Night and DC One Million, that touched so many characters. Certainly an event, absolutely not a crisis in my mind. Okay. When you get to 2005 and Infinite Crisis, this is, again, earth-shattering of, of multiversal proportions type stuff. You know, at this point, the universe got expanded back to a multiverse and then kind of collapsed back down to a universe. We got the introduction of, of hypertime, which is the vast interconnected web of parallel timelines, which uh, comprise all reality and kind of the integration of them overlapping timelines and stuff kind of explains all the contradictions. Was that Grant Morrison who did that? Mark Wade, actually. Mark Wade. Okay. Although Grant Morrison, it does seem like something he to come up with. Yeah, it just sounds like him. <laughs> you know, and after that, we wind up getting, really next up would be 52, which is absolutely not a crisis. It was a weekly series, so it wasn't even an event, really. Because while it was going on, it was one year later, and they were, you know, dancing around this and stuff like that. So it was not tying into the monthly titles very explicitly. But it also does a retcon of Infinite Crisis, where the universe gets expanded back into a multiverse. And this gave us the, the 52 worlds we, we tend to know, or That's, a version of them, I should say. Like they couldn't make up their mind. We're going from multiverse to one to multiverse. <laughs> multiverse to universe to... Mul yeah, it did. Yeah. Gets confusing. All right. It, it does. After that, we get Final Crisis. We get Blackest Night. Final Crisis, I think, is probably an event. I'd have to go reread it. Honestly, I not one I cared for. Blackest Night, epic event but not a crisis. Yeah. Then in 2011, we get Flashpoint. Okay. This, to me, is probably the most epic sense, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Okay. Because it reboots the timeline twice. Once ah. going in, once coming out. Ah! Barry basically decides to make a change in the past. We get this pocket universe that brilliantly existed for like three months, did some great stuff in it, and then at the end, Barry decides, oh, well, I've got to quote-unquote fix things, 
kind of sort of shatters the timeline yet again, integrating the uh, Vertigo and Wildstorm universes into the main timeline. And that gives us the new 52 universe. Oh, interesting. Or, or multiverse or whatever we wound up with. Okay. Now, we go for another couple of years with Forever Evil, New 52 Futures End, and a few things, and that gets us to Convergence. Okay, yep. This was a two-month thing to bridge the gap of DC physically moving from the west East Coast to the West Coast. I remember that. And it integrated some pre-Flashpoint characters into the post-Flashpoint timeline, and kind of starts to set the seed for DC Universe Rebirth special. Ah, cool. It was around all of this time that we get the, I guess it was the pre-crisis Superman back, was it pre-crisis or post-crisis? It had to be pre-crisis Superman back, or it was at least the pre-Flashpoint Superman back, one of the Superman. I remember the the new 52 Superman kind of just went away, just, you know, boom, he's gone. Well, literally, boom, he's gone. He kind of blew up and he got replaced by a past version. Yep. (laughs) And this is retcon after retcon after retcon, because... They basically had to retcon of, okay, this is how he got past Crisis and survived. They retcon to, okay, now he's the Superman of this Earth, and Batman and Wonder Woman like, oh, can we trust this stranger? Oh, he looks just like our friend. And then, wavy hands, I think Mr. Mixoplick might have been involved, whatever, another retcon, and boom, it's as if he had always been there, and there was never any ill will between the, the, the main heroes. <laughs> oh, there- what a mess. Well, there comes a point where it's like, I've been reading this for a year and a half. You're going down this one thing, and then poof, it's gone, and it never mattered or happened. This is where retcons can cause headaches and really annoy some of the readers. Yeah, yeah. And that's understandable. And you reading for all this time, I imagine it's frustrating. Oh, yeah. And then we get to the era where they start teasing stuff for years in advance, because the seed that was planted in 2016 with the DC Universe Rebirth special gets teased out a little more in 2017 with the Button storyline in Batman 21 and 22 and Flash 21 and 22. Yep. Doesn't really get addressed in Dark Knight's Metal. That was a separate kind of event, maybe a crisis or whatever, but plays out in Doomsday Clock, which would have been a crisis if it had actually mattered and had any impact to any other title. <laughs> But it brings back the Legion, well, it reboots the Legion and brings back the JSA. We then get Dark Knight's Death Metal, which uh, maybe is kind of sort of a crisis. It certainly had the the hoopla of multiversal impact, but I really don't know that I'd say it changed all that much. Yeah, not really. I I need to reread Dark Knight's Metal and Dark Knight's Death Metal to see if they had any kind of impact. Yeah, it's like the dark dark multiverse and you got the Batman who laughs, and that's kind of it. The introduction to the Dark Dark Multiverse absolutely was introduced with Dark Knight's Metal, but that was a retooling of their story. It didn't contradict anything we'd seen before, so not a retcon. Yeah. Just a a, a franchise expansion, which is cool. And then uh, 2022, where we're at, we've gotten the announcement of Dark Crisis that'll start in another month or two and then go for the rest of the year. Yeah, we gotta see how big this crisis is gonna be. Yeah, sure. (laughs) I'm I'm not even gonna say cautiously optimistic. (laughs) Burnt out, I think, is a good good phrase. Another one. (laughs) Well, yeah, because if you think about it, I've seen an entire continuity, even if you just say from crisis to flashpoint, I was pretty much all in on most of that, if not all of that. And now you've gotten to the point of just frustration and I don't know. <laughs> Every couple of years, let's, you know, go go stick the universe in a blender and see what comes out. 
Yeah, ambiguity at this part. <laughs> yeah. Now we got a couple of questions from from Jason Z. Okay. That uh, are worth going into because while the goal was, and this is his first kind of comment, Crisis was intended to to fix continuity problems, but also seemed to cause some as well. And he's got three issues uh, he brought up, and this was after we'd done the back issue spotlight on Crisis. Yeah. And basically, I mean, Crisis forever changed things, and arguably some of these things never recovered from them. So he kind of wanted us to speak towards some of the consequences for, like, the JSA and the Legion in particular. And I think the the crux of the problem, and this absolutely applied to Crisis on Infinite Earths, and until this can be adequately solved, has plagued every crisis since and will continue to do so in the future. Okay. DC did not have a rock-solid game plan coming out of Crisis. That leads to confusion. Yeah. You know, again, we just talked about how Infinite Crisis expanded the universe to a multiverse, slammed it back down, having mixed everything up in the process, and, oh wait, a year or two later, no, no, let's actually go back to the multiverse. Yeah, that, uh, it sounds like short-sighted at that point, or, or indecisive. I don't expect a publisher to have a game plan for the unforeseeable future. Three-year, five-year game plan? That seems pretty doable. That seems really doable, especially with characters that at this point have been around for multiple years. They'd had TV shows at this point, and Superman had had movies at this point. So you think they'd have a game plan, long game plan going forward. Well, let's let's think about that in terms of Flashpoint. They okay. clearly had a game plan for a while, because I think it all kind of sort of led to the Forever Evil stuff about two years later. But then by Convergence, and certainly by a DC Universe Rebirth special five years later, they'd realized they'd made some mistakes and they needed to revert. So, again, I, I think there's a matter of, if you don't have a reasonably clear, I'm not even going to say crystal clear, but a reasonably clear game plan of where you want to go, what your publishing line is meant to be moving forward. And that's not to say it's written in stone and can't ever change. Yeah. But if you don't have the philosophy of it, the principles of it, the the trajectory of it, the sorts of things you will and won't do, some some rails for people to, to kind of brush up against but not cross paths, you're doomed. Yeah. So DC came out of crisis not having a clear game plan for a couple of things, having made some decisions that various writers and titles had to deal with in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Now, the the first question Jason had was basically the effect of, of crisis on Supergirl and her history and place in the DCU. And this, I think, was a great question because she gets this, she gets this heroic death in, in crisis but then we get to the, the new continuity, and she never existed. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> and part of it was a mantra to have Superman be the sole survivor of Krypton. And as I've been doing some of the reading and prep work for the Legion Spotlights, back in like the 60s, I can't tell you how many titles were the thus-and-so of Krypton or from Krypton. The dog, the monkey, the girl, the boy, you know, the, the evil boy, you know, various... They were phrased a little better than I just synopsized it there, but you get the idea. <laughs> yeah, there's always different things coming from Krypton. Yeah. So trying to eradicate Supergirl was, I think, a mistake. Keeping Power Girl around, but completely invalidating her past, that took them forever, and I don't know that they ever have really recovered from that. But just 
to give a little sense of history for Supergirl. Okay. We've got Action Comics 252 from May 1959. First appearance of Supergirl. This is prior to the Flash of Two Worlds. Yeah. So this is not the Supergirl of Earth 1 or Earth 2, because the concepts didn't exist. Okay. Now, it's essentially the Supergirl of Earth 1. I say essentially because, well, it's from 59. Things kind of, you know, change a little. Now, we wind up after Flash of Two Worlds by a good many years in All-Star Comics number 58, which is uh, January, February 1976. Okay. With the first appearance of Power Girl, which is the Earth 2 Supergirl. Ah, all right. Similar backstory, but she actually gets raised by Clark and Lois. Oh, nice. So more of a you know parent-child relationship to a degree. Exactly. Now, we get Crisis, we get Supergirl wiped out, we get Power Girl put into a perpetual limbo of, well, how does she get powers? If she's not from Krypton, who the hell is she? <laughs> and I'm just going to take that and ignore that, because the question was on Supergirl. Yeah. Now, in Superman number 16 in 1988, we get the introduction of a Supergirl slash Matrix. I'm going to phrase it that way intentionally. Okay. She appears to be Supergirl. She winds up taking the name or or identity of of Matrix. She's a protoplasmic shape-shifting thing. Oh, all right. So they had that for a little bit. Now, we wind up about two years later in April 1990 in Legion of Superheroes number five with the first appearance of a Daxamite called Laurel Gand. She's a Supergirl replacement for the Legion, because they kind of need one. (laughs) But remember how I told you that a 1994 Zero Hour kind of rebooted the Legion? By, like, totally? Yeah. Well, in March 1995, in Legion of Superheroes number 66 of that same series, we get the reintroduction of Laurel Gand, this time going by Andromeda as her codename, as the Supergirl replacement. Okay. Now, that's great, but this is all in the 30th century. So, in Supergirl number one, from September 1996, we've got Supergirl Matrix kind of sort of have gotten obliterated or whatever, but winds up merging with human Linda Danvers. Oh my gosh. Linda Danvers having been the alter ego of Supergirl back in the day, and becoming a a unified hybrid entity of, of that Supergirl. Oh my gosh. Well, that's all fine and good, but again, things happen, and in Batman, in Superman Batman number 8 in 2004, we get the reintroduction of Supergirl crashing on Earth, I think this time getting raised by the Amazons, <laughs> and then of course we get Flashpoint, we reboot the whole universe, and in, in 2011 with the new 52, we get the re-re-reintroduction to Supergirl again, I think. Man, can you imagine taking someone from the 1940s who likes Supergirl and telling them all this, they'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, particularly since Supergirl didn't come to 1959, but or still, I get your point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 1959. Yeah, just being like, what is going on? The, it, confusing. Well, it's confusing, and it almost precludes simple questions. Yeah. Because, like, Sands asked me at least a time or two of, okay, the, the Supergirl from Action Comics 252, is this the Earth 1 or the Earth 2? And it's like, well, I, I question if that's a valid question in some respects, because, again, Earth 1, Earth 2 didn't exist back then. (laughs) This character kind of sort of became both Supergirl and Power Girl. That's insane. Wow. Because it wasn't until 1976 that we get clarification on the Earth 2 backstory of Power Girl, which is the Earth 2 Supergirl. Wow. All right. So 
This is the level of confusion they introduced for Supergirl, who clearly died in crisis. Yeah, I'm com- I got confused by it listening to your story, telling me what happened. Wow. Now, Jason's next question was around the elimination of Superboy and its impact on the Legion. Okay, yeah. And this goes back to Superman not becoming Superboy, but becoming Superman as a man. And, I mean, Jason had actually a lot of good comments in his question about how Paul Levitz tried to quote-unquote save Supergirl with Sensor Girl, but wasn't able to, so that went down a different path. And with Superboy not existing, what's that footing that the Legion is based on? Because ostensibly it was always, well, your inspiration led us to become the heroes we are sort of a deal. Yeah. And the Legion really hinged around the backstory of both Superboy and Supergirl. Wow. And how do you do that when suddenly neither existed, yet the Legion continuity didn't get rebooted in Crisis. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, not hilarious, but... It is. It is. <laughs> and the, 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 the final sentence of, of Jason's thing is, can you give your take on the Legion situation? <laughs> nice, succinct way to put it. Not even yeah. a question. It's essentially kind of a, what the hell? Yeah, pretty much. Which is fair. All right. More fun comics. 101, January, February, 1945 we get the first appearance of the Kal-El Clark Kent Superboy. Okay. And at that point, Superboy was, I don't know, 10, 12, somewhere in there. He winds up aging up later. Okay. November 1985, and DC Comics presents 87, we get the first appearance of Superboy Prime. Now, I'm including this for completeness. This is the evil Superboy we've been haunted by ever since. This is a Clark Kent, presumably Kal-El, from Krypton, of Earth Prime, and it's like, they wanted, it was an interesting decision that I agreed with at the time, but with, with what they've done with the character, I don't know. This is a completely, in my mind, different character, highly derivative of Superboy. Okay. For one, he may as well have been from Earth 3, given how evil he tends to be. But he was at the beginning part of Crisis, so he predates Crisis, hence being able to be from Earth Prime, which didn't exist after Crisis. I'm not going to count him as a real Superboy, just because... I don't have to. <laughs> All right. Now, 1987, we've gotten past Crisis. We've obliterated some key backstory for the Legion. In comes a story that starts in Legion of Superheroes 37, goes to Superman 8, Action Comics 591, and back to Legion of Superheroes 38. This story is explicitly to address the impact of the Legion backstory with no Superboy after Crisis on Infinite Earths. And basically, the long and the short of it is the Time Trapper, a Legion villain, grabbed a fraction of an instant of time from somewhere in the time stream, I guess it wouldn't be missed. Okay. Used it to spawn a pocket universe. He nudged in a couple of directions here and there. So we'd have a, a Krypton that would give us, you know, a Superboy that could be raised by the Kents to become the Superboy that the Legion needed. <laughs> and then whenever the Legion traveled back in time, they just kind of got nudged into the pocket universe. <laughs> this all sounds funny to me. <laughs> it does. Eh, confusing and funny. <laughs> But it kind of let that story remain intact, even as they kind of used it to close the door. And, well, Superboy's not going to be around after this, so we've at least Stuck him solved, over here. solved the paradox. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, time elapses. Adventures of Superman 500, June 1993. This is where we get the first appearance of the Con- what will become the Connell Connor Kent Superboy. Okay. This is the clone. The clone, okay. Now... This is great, fun character. He shows up in the Superboy title, Young Justice, a number of other things. Up until Infinite Crisis number 6 in May 2006. 
this is where they kill Connor Kent. Oh, God. <laughs> and they kill him with Superboy Prime, of course. Of course. <laughs> this is Infinite Crisis 6, so it's obviously part of Infinite Crisis. Okay, we go for a while with no Connor Kent. We get the woe is me story for a lot of the Young Justice Titans characters and stuff, because it's a big deal for them. We then wind up getting to Final Crisis, and again, this is 2008, so about three years-ish later. And in Final Crisis Legion of Three Worlds number four, we get the resurrection of Connor Kent. Ah. And it's kind of resurrecting and kind of almost recloning him. This is also the arc that gives us back Bart Allen as a kid after he died as an adult as the Flash in Infinite Crisis. So timelines, yada yada. (laughs) This gives us back Connor Kent for a while, which is good, up until we hit the new 52. Is he gone again? No, we reboot the whole universe, so we've got to reintroduce the Connor Kent Superboy. Oh, God. This is where things get a little wacky, because within two, three years, in Superboy number 19... Okay. We get the first appearance of John Lane Kent. Okay. Son of Superman and Lois. He takes over the Superboy title. (laughs) Now, in Young Justice number one, in March 2019, we get Connor Kent coming back, because that John Lane Kent honestly didn't last all that long. And then, uh, actually, I've got these a little out of order in my notes. Uh, Convergence Superman number two from July 2015. This is what gives us the first appearance of Jonathan Samuel Kent, the Superboy of Super Sons, etc., the, the now Superman, making him the fourth Superboy after the, the original Superman as a boy, the Connell Connor Kent clone Superboy, and John Lane Kent, the first son of, but wiped out in an alternate timeline, whatever. Okay. To the current one, which is the only Superboy never to have headlined a Superboy series, I think. Interesting. And that Superboy runs concurrent with the Connor Kent Superboy, because that's not confusing. (laughs) Now, at some point, once I've gone through a few decades of Legion stories, I'll be able to kind of map out when which Superboy and Supergirl is with which version of the Legion, etc. But they had to go through some serious gymnastics to kind of fix the hole. And this doesn't even address all the stuff they did with Mon-El to use him as part of the backstory. Wow. Because there was the Valor series, because for a while Monel went by Valor and was kind of a, a quasi Superboy replacement. He also went by instead of M O N dash E L, it was M apostrophe and O N E L Monel or whatever, as if it's Martian, <laughs> uh, for a while. And plus, we've got Andromeda and a few others that they've introduced over in the Legion era to kind of fill in some of the the gaps and whatnot just sounds like a confusing mess. Yes. <laughs> and do you know what we had prior to Crisis for all of this? What is that? Kara Zor-El is Supergirl, and Kal-El is, is Superboy, who later Superman. So they made it way worse. They should have left it alone. It arguably was confusing to have a Supergirl and a Power Girl, or Superman of Earth 1 and Earth 2. I think people were able to handle that pretty well. I don't think anyone can really make heads or tails out of the DC... I can't even use the word continuity, but conundrums uh, sense. Yeah, that's, wow. Now now I can see why it's difficult for you to speak about things and who's where. And I don't remember who was doing what at this point in time and who this is, because everything was, it's been so altered and jumbled and mixed and the, the backgrounds. Are, it's like, my gosh. 
I, you know, my hat's off to you for trying to keep it together. Well, and as I was in the thick of it, as some of it was going through, I was able to keep it together and stuff. But as time elapses, and it's been, in some cases, multiple decades since I've read certain stories, it's harder and harder to keep it straight. Wow. And as they've had retellings of certain stories and contradictory facts and stuff like that, it's insane. Do you think that it's, uh, and this, not to compare and contrast too much, but do you think it's simpler at Marvel? Because Marvel, up until pretty much Disney bottom, they were an independent comic company. You know, they, they licensed off the movies and stuff like that, but they they just, it was Marvel, but they didn't buy a ton of stuff. I mean, they bought, you know, Malibu. But do you think because they weren't, you know, acquiring all these companies that things never really had to be rebooted that much? I think it has nothing to do with the characters or companies that DC bought and stuff like that, although that is a factor. I think if I had to point to anything, it comes down to the mystique of Stan Lee. Ah, uh, okay. And, and, and the Marvel Universe not being this perfect gem, but presented at least as such. It wasn't broken, it didn't need fixing. Now, there have certainly been some times where Marvel's decided, yeah, continuity, who cares? It's It's whatever you want. Yeah. And you get the ultimate line, you get the MC2 line, and a few other things that had to get folded back in, or didn't have to, but did. And you've got some some serious bumps in the road. But for the most part, the origin of the Fantastic Four, granted we get some, some retellings and some new nuances and some retcons, but it's still basically the same origin. Yeah, if you were reading in 1961 or 60, I guess it's 1961, and you read it today, you'd still know who everyone was. If you were to ask... A comic book reader, in other words, excluding the Marvel Cinematic Universe, etc. Yeah, correct. <laughs> who were the original Avengers? They'd either not know, because, I mean, not everybody does, or they'd get the the usual suspects. Yeah. Ant-Man, Wasp, Thor, Hulk, etc. You're not going to have somebody trying to claim that it was originally... Well, I mean, you can't ask the same question about the Justice League. Because it's always different and different. Well... Was Superman and Batman, were they there? Were they not? Was Martian Manhunter there? Was Cyborg a founding member of the Justice League or not? He certainly shouldn't be, but he is now, which makes no sense because he was a founding member of the new Teen Titans, and that was well after the Justice League had been around, and <laughs> everything happened. He can't. <laughs> so the, the conceit at Marvel of it's got some inconsistencies, but generally speaking, it sort of makes sense. At DC, it's it's always been up for grabs for decades now. And them trying to fix it creates more problems. Yes. And they keep trying to fix it. Yeah. And until they come out with a solid game plan that can adequately address the confusion and prevent it from happening again, I don't see how they can get around that. Wow. Now, the third question about the aftermath of, of Crisis that Jason had was around yeah. the JSA. Because the Justice Society was fundamentally changed by this. All-Star Squadron and Infinity Inc. were ongoing Earth-2 titles at the time Earth-2 ceased to be. And no Batman, no Superman, no Wonder Woman. To say the rug got pulled out from under Roy Thomas on those two titles is understating it. Yeah. Suddenly, the worlds didn't exist. These characters that had a unique place in those worlds were just... Infinity Inc. was a present-day title, and suddenly they're there in the same world as the Titans, the Justice League, and everybody else under the sun. And the way they handled this in the two titles was kind of fundamentally different. Okay. Now, All-Star Squadron was a period piece set in World War II, and it had numerous crossovers with, with Crisis and stuff, dealing with their participation in it and such. But after that, 
the title pretty much flipped to mainly being origin stories from issue 61 to 67, which was the, the end of the series. And there was one or two that were kind of a flashback story that took place prior to Crisis or whatnot. Okay. But then, in 1987, Young All-Stars takes over with some replacement characters. And it's okay. kind of... Not kind of, it's, it's, it's a relaunch of the All-Star Squadron property, shifting the focus to some new characters. We get Iron Monroe, who's a replacement Superman, a World War II-era Fury, which is a replacement for Wonder Woman, Neptune Perkins to stand in for Aquaman. Not that Aquaman had really been a, a character used much at all in All-Star Squadron. I think he was referenced like twice before that. Sure, whatever. Flying Fox to take the place of Batman, and Dan the Dynamite to kind of take the place of Robin. And they're not one-for-one stand-ins, but they're pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. And it's funny, because the first group of villains the Young All-Stars fight is essentially a Nazi version of the Justice League. With their (laughs) own Superman, Green Arrow, Batman, etc. That's funny. (laughs) I liked Young All-Stars. I really liked All-Star Squadron. Okay, cool. So I think the title lost a little in the process, but it continued for a while. Now, Infinity, Inc., that was the present-day title with the sons and daughters of the JSA. At least those who still existed. Okay. Now, it fared better lasting from after the Crisis crossovers, issue 25 to 53. But it had numerous retcons due to the backstory and, well, all of Earth 2 being yanked out from under it. How could Fury be the daughter of of a World War II-era Wonder Woman if she never existed? Well, now she's the daughter of the original Fury. Okay, but... Some of the backstory of these characters hinged on them being who they were, and they had to spend a couple of issues here and there just kind of addressing these things. Yeah. You know? And the backstory of the JSA and various members of it have been retconned from time to time throughout the decades. Now, part of it, these characters are anchored in World War II, which gets further and further in the past. Yeah. They could fix that somewhat. I mean, you remember what they did with the Punisher. They just said, hey, we're calling the war... Instead of the Vietnam War, we're calling it, I can't remember, Southeast Asian, you know, whatever, event. You could do that, but the war that spawns the Punisher, that spawns Iron Man and stuff like that, isn't intrinsic to the characters. Whereas the World War II was. Okay. Yeah, I kind of think it is for the JSA, uh, to a larger degree at least, than those other characters. Okay, that makes sense. But you can then be dealing with the grandkids, maybe, of these characters. I mean, it's... Part of it was Zero Hour. It's like, how old are these characters? Do we keep them around? Do they age them? Do they de-age them? And it's funny, because Alan Scott's the one they keep de-aging, so he can be a contemporary, non-Green Lantern core member Green Lantern, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Boggles the mind. So when when Jeff Johns did his Justice Society, did he keep them like the World War II era? No, he was doing them present day. Oh, interesting. And it worked out well. It worked out reasonably well, but you've kind of got to gloss over just how old are these characters? All right. We're not looking at them like they're 80 years old. We're going on. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, but they also focused on a lot of the younger legacy characters. Okay, cool. Which which works. The two JSA members that I think have been retconned the most, Hawkman and Hawkgirl slash Hawkwoman. Yeah, you said one of the crises, I guess, was at Zero Hour? They went down to one Hawk character? Well, they... they they merge them. Okay, merge them. <laughs> this is where they really, and and uh, Jeff Johns JSA really leaned into this too, went into the constant reincarnation of, of the Hawks. Yeah, which I kind of like that. You can have a Hawkman in World War II 
who gets reborn to become the Hawkman of the Justice League and such. Who's not a 80-year-old person who... Not or an 80-year-old, yeah. Yeah, he, he's 30, young, spry 30. That's great until you say everything's included in the timeline, including the two Hawkmen's meeting. <laughs> yeah. But some of the stuff with the Hawks is they have been retconned, particularly the Silver Age version of them, because they couldn't decide, are they Thanagarians, are they somehow related to the Carter Hall, the, the Earth-based Hawks from the, the Golden Age and stuff like that. And now every character that has any kind of a serious Hawk theme throughout time is somehow Hawkman. And it, it works. I mean, the uh, Robert Venditti Hawkman series we read a few years back, I really enjoyed. And they took that to the next level of not just the Hawks on Earth, but it's across time and space. Yeah, I love that series. It was terrific. But as fun as it is, it does make following that character's continuity kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly when decades worth of it were published without any of that in mind because nobody had dreamed it up. What a mess. Exactly. That's that is the lasting repercussion of a crisis. Is everything becomes messy and people are confused about what's what. If, if you're going to clean it up, you've got to have a do-no-damage kind of mantra with the realization that almost anything you do is going to do damage. I yeah. don't know how you get past that. Marvel probably didn't know the repercussions you know, years to come from what he did. I think there was a need to clean up some of the continuity. I think the story they told given the size, scope, and what it set out to do, was brilliant. Yeah. Easy read, accessible? No, not so much, but I wouldn't claim it was, or meant to be. Should they have done it or not? I don't know how much that would have changed where we're at now, because I think they still would have retconned and rebooted individual characters, which gets even more confusing than rebooting an entire universe. Yeah. And the problem isn't that they make these changes, it's that they backpedal on these changes. Is the JSA around as an active group, or is it not? Do we have a multiverse or a universe? You know, was Superman Superboy? Is he a clone? Is he somebody else? Is he the kid of? What's going on? And I think sometimes when you just own the past, it can be a little confusing, like the the current Batman family situation where you've got five Robins over time. Yeah. (laughs) But it can kind of make sense, too. Yeah. I mean, you can tell me, here's why this character went on to do this, and here's the new Batman, or here's the new Robin. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. All right, cool. Until you factor in, virtually every one of them has died. Yeah, that, that's the part that gets confusing. <laughs> but it's just saying this character never existed all of a sudden is going to frustrate and call things into question. Well, if you ask somebody the origin of Jason Todd Robin, were his parents acrobats killed by Killer Croc? Or is this the kid who stole the, the tires off the Batmobile? Those Jason Todds are very different characters. Yeah. But they're the same character in some sense, too. That's the part that just boggles my mind. <laughs> now, we got a couple of questions around Favorite Crisis and a few other things like that. I think I know your answer to this. Uh, for me, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths is, is my favorite. Permanently changed the continuity, never been done before. I do think Zero Hour and Infinite Crisis were worthy follow-ups, though. Yeah. For me, it's Dark Knight's Death Metal. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> Actually, because I read it with you and Sam, Crisis on Infinite Earths, I have a lot more respect for the story. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't respect it before. I just didn't understand what was going on and the repercussions of why it was happening. So that's my favorite crisis. And that's what I refer to as when I, we talk about, and I just, I'll say on the Slack, crisis, that's the one I'm referring to. Yeah. To that's, me, if, if you use crisis without any qualifiers, it's that. 
yeah, me too. That that's the way I look at it. That's the crisis. <laughs> now, I've I've seen in one or two places people. It's like, oh, it's it, this is where one of the first things you should read or whatever. Like, no, it, it's it is overpowering for somebody new to the continuity, and you miss so many levels of what's going on there and the Easter eggs if you don't have a good background on the DC universe. Yeah, I mean, honestly, even reading the JSA Avengers with you or JLA Avengers, I, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to say JSA. You were able to show us some things that we may have missed, our little book club on our own. You know, like, it, it was just cool. Like, little things that you would notice in the background art that we didn't see because of your knowledge of DC. And it's funny because I could make an argument that JLA Avengers counts as a DC crisis. Yeah, yeah. Multiple universes. True. Tons of characters involved. It rewrites reality a time or two. It does. It's a crisis. I mean, it checks all the boxes. Yeah, they even had that little cross-gen logo you showed us. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was just hilarious. That was, yeah, that was clever. <laughs> but yeah, that was a crisis. It could be considered one. So, and again, there's no hard and fast rules. These are just kind of the mindset I tend to use. Yeah. Now, do you agree that the next question that they had, the what crisis had the most lasting effects on the DC universe? I think it's the same one. Uh, for me, there are two answers. Oh, two answers. Okay, what's the other answer? Oh, Crisis Inventors permanently changed the continuity, and there is no other dividing line before and after to that extent. Correct. But, all that having been said, Flashpoint completely restarted the DC Universe from scratch, and Green Lantern and Batman stories kind of sort of bridged the gap a little bit, but it reinvented all the characters. Ah. And I, to me, that clearly ended the continuity started at Crisis, even if in some ways, while it was a new Earth, it was continuing the stories of previous characters. A flashpoint, it cuts stuff off at the knees. Do, do you have hope for the new crisis coming out? The dark crisis? I don't know enough about it to have hope yet, but I guess for me, I'm not seeing the visionary they need. Because to me, a crisis is, it's like the gutter between two panels. Yeah. It really matters what's in that next panel. It really does. <laughs> I don't know what they've got envisioned. And that's part of my disappointment with Flashpoint. I looked at how much they defined and explored the Flashpoint universe in three months that they never really seemed to do with the universe after that. If they can have that level of storytelling, of accessibility, of continuity, of of exploration, of excitement and such, then it doesn't matter what event you use to get to it. Do you have somewhere worth getting to? Yeah. And not to be dismissive, I, I really don't want it to sound like that, but if I was picking a top-notch writer right now to write Dark Crisis, I would – and he hasn't been there long enough, but I'd be leaning – trying to ask Mark Wade to do it before Joshua Williamson. That's just me. I mean, Mark Wade's been around the DC Universe for, for decades. Yeah. And has encyclopedic knowledge of it stretching back even further. I mean, I've seen him do this trick where you can take a Silver Age comic, show him the bottom, like, half inch of it. And he can tell you which comic it is. That's insane. That's 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 inhuman. Yeah. <laughs> or uncanny or astonishing or any other Marvel uh, adjective. He's got he is that. <laughs> He's got a good sensibility of what the DC universe could and should be. And if I mean I couldn't care less who they've got writing Dark Crisis if it's a leading up to reboot and then boom, he's in charge of what's after it. Then I'd be happy. That would get me excited. Me too. So I'm hoping for light at the end of the tunnel as far as DC, because they've kind of been in a quagmire lately, just spinning their wheels and not doing much. Well, 
Part of why they did the New 52 reboot is they realized people didn't care about their characters or the stories they were telling. Yet they've lost sight of that and haven't really focused well on that moving forward. Yeah, that's true. And so with the right creative teams and a reinvigoration, I think things could be good. And I've got my fingers crossed, but I don't know. We'll see. Creative teams, definitely a key part of it. No question about that. But if you don't have a key hands-on visionary with the right vision and the ability to disseminate that and work with those creative teams, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter if you don't shore up your editorial talent. Yeah. You need someone with that long game plan, not for two years down the road, but for multiple years. This is where we're headed. Somebody on the editorial side who could be making sure the issues are accessible, they're entertaining, they sell themselves and that next issue, and that you don't have, not trying to be so epic and and major that every issue is like a a mile marker event for a character, because that just doesn't work. If everything matters, nothing matters. No, it's true. I felt like that Scott Snyder when he's writing Justice League, when you're mm-hmm. reading it, every issue was an epic, you know, an event. It felt like it was and bombastic. You, yeah. Yeah. You get fatigued after a while. You're like, OK, <laughs> well, you've got to pace out the quiet moments to get to know the characters and such with the action pieces, with the the mysteries and other things like that. And you've got to have it to where things are moving along quickly enough. I mean, if if you look at those JLA, JSA team-ups, they would happen in issues, you know, 21 and 2, and then again, 29 and 30, and then again, 37, 38, and again, 46 and 47, and then 56, or 55 and 56. If they were happening within every 10 issues, it, it felt like. Yet they were telling so many stories in those other issues, it felt like it had been a full year since then. Yeah. These days, you'd be lucky to get an arc between those. Oh, very true. <laughs> very true. So if you don't change the storytelling pace, and I'm not saying you got to rush through things, but does everything need to be a, an eight-part arc? Yeah. I don't think so. No, give give us a black cat. Give us something like that. You know, something where it's it's good in a, an issue or two. It's self-contained issues that have payoff that build up to a larger whole. Yes. that's a, Black cat's a great example of that, yeah. That's what we want. Now, the next question was uh, least favorite or impacted one of your favorite characters in a negative direction for which crisis? For me, my least favorite, pretty much by far, Final Crisis. Ah. Oh. It felt like half the story was left untold as an exercise for the readers. <laughs> wow. And it was, to me, Grant Morrison at his worst. At his worst. And he can be a difficult person to read. Yeah, that's not good. I, okay, I know you kind of put, is it a question, question mark, is it a crisis? But I don't have a lot of, to draw from. Mine would be Doomsday Clock just because it was so delayed and it had no impact on anything. And I think it was meant to have impact on the whole DCU. Well, that's the thing is it did impact two things. Two things, okay. It brought back the JSA, not that we've really seen them much since. Correct. And it rebooted the Legion. That's true. That's true. It did do that. So it has all the hallmarks of an event other than being part and parcel of the universe it's in taking place in. Yeah. <laughs> so I, there are parts of it I like, there are parts of it it's just, it was a misfire. Yeah, it, it seemed like they had to change the story multiple times because of the delays. Yeah. Which was unfortunate. I think if it had come out the way in timeline it was intended to, we would have seen other stories elsewhere wrapping up in time for a fresh reboot of the DC Universe We'd have gotten a more Jeff Johns approach to the Legion, the JSA, and we could have been in a really nice DC universe at that point. 
Yep. And instead, the whole thing kind of moved beyond that, and then they had to. It felt. It feels like it was changed. Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah. I don't think the game plan was for Saturn Girl to just fade away, and next time, wavy hands. There's a new legion. Yeah. Unfortunate. Oh, absolutely. Kind of insane. Now, there was a question of would I consider Death of Superman or Final Night as a crisis? No. Death of Superman, major event, certainly a mile marker for the DC Universe in some way, shape, or form, but it didn't really reshape reality. Yeah. I actually read that, too. So, Oh, great story. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good story. I liked it, but yeah, it didn't do anything I would think to change the, the continuity of the DCU or Worlds Died or anything. He died. He died? That was certainly a big deal for a lot of people. Yeah. Final Night, I don't know anything about it. That was one where a Sun Eater was going to wipe out the sun. Oh, okay. All right. Gotcha. And this is one that I I got... I'm trying to remember if I've put that in the list. I think I did put it on the list for the Legion Spotlights down the line. The reason I did is they're essentially taking the Death of Feral Lad story, which is a classic Legion story, and telling it in the present day as an event. Interesting. Which kind of worked, and it's certainly a major event. It impacted a lot of the titles and, and everybody and stuff at the time. And there are one or two things that get retconned into it later, they bring a character back or two, that don't make it crisis-like, but it's certainly an event. It's not a crisis, is, is my mind. Okay, cool. You know, it, it comes down to, is nothing will ever be the same again kind of a line, more so than the worlds will live, worlds will die kind of a thing. Yeah. The, the, the next question that they had, I'm really interested to hear what you think about this. Because the question was, does a crisis or reboot slash reset of the DC Universe drive away comic fans or bring more fans in? I think the short answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it can do both. I, I agree with you. <laughs> but to me, a good crisis or reboot or whatever keeps established fans while bringing in new readers. It, it sets things up to be more accessible. But that's a storytelling technique as much as anything else. And you can use one of these events, uh, crisis-type things, to kind of give people the impression that none of what happened before is a prerequisite to coming in. But that's different than saying none of what happened before matters anymore. Yeah. And it's absolutely different than saying that everything that ever happened before matters now. See, the one that comes to mind, and I wasn't even reading DC at the time, was New 52. Because I remember when that came, there was so much buzz around DC and their numbers were through the roof and everybody it was bringing back lapsed readers. DC was advertising it in the newspapers and all over, you know, they were on TV shows. But then, you know, with a couple of years after that, it seemed like everyone's leaving in droves. The, I think it was the January before that, the top selling comic was like 74, 75,000 units. Wow. It just, there was an apathy across yeah. the board, not just at DC. I mean, that was a bad month, but... And then when they did the relaunch, and they did a lot of, of hype going into it, and it was known for a while that they're they're doing things, and they, they put all their titles into a lame duck status, they did the three months of Flashpoint to kind of, you know, give them a buffer between the old and the new universes, and then it's like, oh, we've got these creative teams, we're doing 52, we're limiting the number of titles, we're doing all these great things. And on paper, some of these titles looked really cool, others, eh, I don't know. But you can't expect your average reader to say, I'm going to start getting 52 titles. That's a lot of titles, yeah. Now, they may say, I can't decide. I'm going to sample more than I would normally get, or maybe all of them, or whatever. But number ones are going to sell, number twos are going to drop, threes are going to drop, four is where you really find out how the titles actually do it. And we saw 
huge gains during the first month or two, because there was some reorder activity for that second month, which was great, but it was all the looky-loos of, of what's happening here and is this new number one going to be worth something? You shouldn't expect to do a line-wide reboot and have stellar numbers four to six months in. Yeah, correct. And I think resetting your entire universe and putting every title into the honeymoon period of will they like it, will they not kind of a deal, that's insane. That is so risky, not just for a publisher, but retailers have no idea how to order these things. By the time they figure it out, they could be, you know, either dealing with customers. It's like, you couldn't get me what I want. Why not? Or why do you have all these things clogging up the shelves that nobody wants? Yeah, yeah. So I I think doing the Big Bang approach to a new reality, it just doesn't make sense. No, it really doesn't. Now, the the final question. The final question. Da-da-da. Does DC need another crisis now, or is there a better way to reset the DC universe and characters? I would say yes, because it's being solicited already. <laughs> I would say yes, way. because as I go through the DC Connect, it takes me a while to find something I'm interested in. Yeah, it, that, that's honestly where I am, because I notice like DC puts their big, what they're pushing in the full page as mm-hmm. at, the, at the beginning of the Connect, and I flip through a lot of those, and it's like, yeah. eh, eh. The Flashpoint, I'm kind of excited for Flashpoint. Dark Crisis, I'm, I'm kind of excited for that because I want to see where they're going. But, but there's a lot of stuff in there. I'm just like, man, this is just not good. Not good. Well, uh, Flashpoint Beyond, just to touch on that for a moment, that title in and of itself is a retcon. Oh, okay. yeah. There was no Flashpoint universe to go back to. <laughs> so now it's a whole universe. <laughs> yeah. Whereas it was a revamp of this current timeline, so it wasn't its own timeline. So how does this work? So, confusion sets in. There it is. (laughs) Given what I've seen in Infinite Frontiers and Justice League Incarnate, I think they're going to take the current level of confusion from the various crises, reboots, yada yada, and amp that up like two or three orders of magnitude if they're not careful. Which would be horrible. They could come out of this doing great if they can make all the pieces settle into a nice pretty picture, or they can come out of it with a... Wow, what the hell were they thinking? <laughs> Followed by the obvious next question, and why should I care? Yeah. Oh. But as I've said, they're in a mess now. They got to do something. Is a crisis the right way to do it or not? I don't know. We've had too many crises lately that hitting the reset button. I think if they could figure out a game plan for afterward, I mean, they need the visionary with a clear sense of what the DC Universe was and should be and figure out how to get from the mess they're in to where they want to be. Is a reset button the way to do it? I don't think so, but I'm not sure quite how else to do it. And I just, again, have this nagging feeling that Dark Crisis is going to muddy the continuity waters so much more. Yeah. And to to your point about having the vision and stuff, there was a recording we did last week, I think it was. We had talked about who the editor-in-chief was for DC. Mm. And we didn't even know. And it was, I looked it up, and I, I still forgot her name, but it was a lady that we neither one of us knew her name. I don't have a lot of confidence that she has the vision to have the editorial team and get everyone on the right tra- trajectory. So I'm kind of worried about that. And maybe this is showing my age or whatever, but I'm of a mindset that the editor-in-chiefs that I recall, the Dick Giordano's, the, um, trying to think of some other really classic ones from that kind of era, you know, even going back to like a, a Stan Lee, they're part visionary, Part make the train runs on time management type stuff, and part showman salesman. Yeah, 
And there have been a few that have put themselves out there as, let me get you excited. And in some cases, very, you know, Stan Lee-ish. Other cases, a little more understated and whatnot. But are guiding the overall product of of the, the shared universe down a path and making sure not you're never going to have everything firing on all cylinders all at once. But you got to have enough things and nothing doing so badly it tanks everything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just, I don't see anyone from any of the companies these days doing that sort of thing. At one point, Brevoort was doing it over at Marvel, but not so much anymore. Yeah. Matter of fact, I don't remember the last time I saw any kind of an article with him expounding the virtue of the Marvel Universe, etc., etc. All these, all those kinds of discussions are always about the MCU, not the, the Marvel Universe. Yeah. So until they get that level of champion for a shared universe, I almost wonder if it matters. Yeah, that's how I feel. It's, it feels like it's going to just kind of continue to flounder. And especially with DC just and Warner Brothers just got spun off into now there's new executives in charge with this Discovery Channel thing. So... I think, yes, there needs to be a reset, but I don't think there's anyone there to make the reset work right now. And can they get that person there? I don't know. Because, and I don't want to put it all on one person, but it almost needs to be like a team of people, you know, good creators. Well, I mean, yeah, there's not going to be one person who's suddenly writing and drawing the entire DC universe. But the visionary, the visionary to get us there. Yeah, the leader. And I don't think that person's there. Right now it's Marie Javins and never heard from her never hear from her i don't know anything about her but they need to be the outspoken hero and they're not not there they need to be somewhat charismatic certainly visible and accessible they need to be and dan didio did a good job with this he was as much the complaint department as anything else for dc's it's cheerleader and such yeah now if you could partner that with the creative vision of a jeff johns and the editorial oversight of like a, a Mark Grunewald or something like that, you could really have something. Oh, if you got those people together, that would be amazing, you know? Get the get the band and get them all there working. It, it would be fantastic. And I think comics would start to increase in sales because people would start enjoying what they're getting. And it, it, right now, it's just a little bit frustrating because I don't see it on the horizon. I think we're going to have pockets of good books. Like right now, Nightwing's a great book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the bulk of it's not great, you know, unfortunately. But should you take one of your great books and hide it in the back of the catalog on a four-per-page kind of a thing? Or, hey, people are liking it. Let's either, you know, spotlight it or maybe, I don't know, do other books like it. Yeah, it gets the postage stamp treatment. And that, I would say, is the book to read. And you get the little thing and I can't even read it without my glasses on. Yeah. Unfortunate. Now, one thought I kind of want to leave everybody with. Because I'm sure there's some people of, oh, this is all because of continuity. Continuity is evil. Just chuck it and be rid of it. Yeah. Continuity matters. Okay. Continuity is the history of the characters, pure and simple. It's what's happened to them. If the history of the characters does not matter, why read the stories which are revealing that history as it's unfolding? Because if the stories you're reading are just ephemeral and doesn't matter to anyone or the characters at the end of it, what was the point of the exercise? Yeah. Is it just fan fiction? Uh, not fan fiction. It's just, is Batman interesting because you look at him and that's all there is? Or because his backstory, the, what you know about the character, etc. Yeah. It's that backstory that makes the present play out the way it does. And I'm not saying you've got to be slavishly following every aspect that's been laid down in the past of continuity. 
gloss over some details, fudge a few things, that's that's fine. When exactly were these characters born? Who cares, unless it's really pivotal to the character in some cases. You know, there was one of the members of the Authority that was tied to the millennium she was she was born in. That, okay, kind of matters how old the character is. Other characters like Spider-Man or, or Batman, uh, Superman, doesn't matter if they were, you know, first in 1938 or, or 1980 or, or 2022. But if the stories you lay down can just be cast aside willy-nilly or whatever, you're telling the wrong stories. I agree. Now, that's not to say every one of these stories has to be pivotal, and they can be forgettable, but if they are discarded, you've done something. I would agree. Uh, that's a great point to leave on. Yeah, because I think the fundamental flaw with a lot of these, you know, reboots and, and retcons and stuff like that is they're taking something that somebody read and enjoyed and saying, you know what, it doesn't matter. You shouldn't have bothered with that. We're, we're discounting it. It's gone. Yeah, like Superboy. You shouldn't have read that. And maybe you love Superboy. <laughs> well, which which Superboy? Which Superboy, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Flip side, if you go the route DC was trying for a while, if, well, everything happened. Everything matters. That's... I'm trying to even think what is a phrase for that. That is, it's trying to placate us. Yeah. You know, it can't all have happened because you've told conflicting things. Yeah. And if you're, te- if you're telling a universe that inherently cannot make sense, well, then why should I follow along if there are no rules to it? I can't predict anything or, or speculate on anything because, well, literally, anything can happen. It already has. Yeah. And if continuity didn't matter, you know, Avengers Endgame wouldn't have mattered. You wouldn't have even seen the stories before. Exactly. And I think the impact of Avengers Endgame was the Avengers movie, the Captain America movies, all the way back to the Iron Man movie. And the people that were there for that whole thing, that was the payoff. Mm -hmm. Continuity matters. Well, and that's why somebody shouldn't start with Avengers Endgame. Yeah, you should not. (laughs) They should build up to it. They get the full impact of it. Yeah, because if you just watch it, okay, that's cool. Some some things going off, but what gives it is getting to know the background, getting to know the history, mm-hmm. and people talking about the experience. And then if they were to come in later on and say, it's no longer Chris Hemsworth, here's this other guy, and here's his background, you'd be like, what? What? That? No, that's not Thor. <laughs> yeah. People would be upset. <laughs> well, imagine watching the Spider-Man movies by going the original Spider-Man to Amazing Spider-Man 2 to No Way Home. Just those three as a trilogy confusing (laughs) you'd be totally perplexed yeah what's going on (laughs) but because of the continuity both of the tom holland movies but the other two sets they got to a really cool point in that movie that you couldn't do otherwise yeah and and likewise crisis on infinite earths worked because i had a background on not all the characters but enough of the characters exactly you know and when you tell some of the stories over and over again with, oh, this time it's different because we're going to twist left versus right. Sure, okay, but if, I've seen the basic idea before. Yeah. Hey, well, I, I appreciate you giving me this background on all this stuff and you kind of you know holding my hand through it because I'm not crisis in depth. And I got my fingers really crossed for a good future for DC. I'm hoping this crisis shakes some things up and things are, are good going forward. I certainly hope so. I just am a little concerned. Again, some of the stuff they did with the recent Justice League Incarnate stuff prepping for for Dark Crisis could be really interesting, or it could just be you've taken this a few steps too far. Yeah. But 
as long as it's an enjoyable story, it's going to end. It's where do they come out on the other side? Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Anything else? Nah, that does it for me. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.